Uh, well, the recent NBC sitcom, Perfect Harmony, it tells the story of Dr. Arthur Cochran, played by Brad Whitford, who's actually one of my favorite actors. But uh, Cochran is the chair of the music department at Princeton University. And while Dr. Cochran is sadly ending his life in a car, he, outside of a church building, he overhears the choir practice inside the church building. Horrified by what he hears, he marches in to offer some direction. He finds a bunch of uh, church members that are not only having problems singing together, but are actually having problems doing life together. So after providing some assistance to this down-and-out choir, the pastor actually asks them to stick around, become the choir director, to teach the choir some harmony. Uh, Dr. Cochran does this, and he also finds some harmony in his own life. Now, if you can believe this, the show never really got off the ground. NBC canceled it after like six episodes. Uh, but having sung in plenty of church choirs over my life and being in plenty of churches, I actually really appreciated the basic plot. Uh, singing in harmony is one thing. Living in harmony is an entirely other thing. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, living in harmony. We're in a series right now uh, called The One Another's. And as we've talked about during this series, uh, to be a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean to be saved from sin and death. It does mean that. But it also means to be called into a new family, called into a new community. And that's what churches are supposed to be, communities, families. But living together as a family, as a community, is hard. Uh, so the Bible has a lot to say about how to do that. And in general, the Bible's instruction is to blank one another. And that blank is filled in in the New Testament with all kinds of important verbal commands. Uh, love one another, uh, honor one another, uh, serve one another, encourage one another, submit to one another. And, and the emphasis here is we've been trying to emphasize, the emphasis is the one anotherness of these commands. Churches cannot be places where pastors do this for lots of people. It's, churches got to be places where we can do this for each other. That is the only way, that is the only way to experience the, the power uh, that God gives us in, in our community. So another one of the one another commands that the Bible gives us is to live in harmony uh, with one another. As Paul writes in chapter 12, live in harmony with one another. And as he writes later in chapter 15, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may, be with, you may with one mind and one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the one another verse that I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, what does it mean, though? What does it mean to live in harmony with one another? Uh, this verse in the New Testament is actually one that can be translated lots of different ways. It is translated live in harmony with, but it can also be translated as live at peace with each other, or have the same concern for everyone, or be like-minded with one another, or get along with everybody. So there's a lot of diversity in those translations. Is there a correct one? So the, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word phreneo, and it literally means to have the same mind. To have the same mind as each other. To think the same thoughts, to have the same feelings, to pursue the same goal, to have the same opinions. To think the same. Now honestly, we might hear that and we might bristle. In our culture, we actually value difference. 
We value independence. Nonconformists are our heroes. Uh, it is our birthright as Americans to think differently from each other and especially from our leaders. So this idea of having the same mind as one another might not sound that appealing to us and might, in fact, even sound a little dangerous. When I was growing up, for example, I watched a lot of uh, Star Trek. That's right. Yeah. Every version, in fact. I watched every version of Star Trek. Can you believe that? Now, one of the scariest but most compelling arcs in the Star Trek Next Generation series was when the Federation was invaded by a cult-like alien force known as the Borg. Uh, yeah, that was scary. So maybe you remember the Borg. The Borg flew around in a large cube, assimilating planets and peoples into their collective and when people were assimilated into the collective, they lost all their individuality. But in exchange, they became part of a unified whole that was so powerful in their unity that no species or planet could resist them. Resistance is futile. futile. That's right, they would say. we got some big Borg fans over here. So even, this is the scariest part, even at one point, Captain Jean-Luc Picard was assimilated. He was renamed, you know. I don't want to say it. <laughs> Lacutius. He was renamed Lacutius. That's right. It, it was one of the most terrifying cliffhammer, cliffhanger end of the episodes that I've ever seen in my life. I am Lacutius. <gasps> Turn in next week. So, so somehow the Federation found a way to resist the Borg and Captain Picard was de-assimilated. That's our fear, though, when it comes to like-mindedness in churches. Our fear is that we will be assimilated. You might not want to know this, but lots of churches actually even have assimilation ministries. Assimilation ministries are how churches help visitors become uh, members. We, here at Rooftop, we call it connections. We don't call it assimilation. We call it connections, largely because I grew up watching Star Trek. <laughs> But this is a fear in the world that, that churches are not a place of diversity and difference, but assimilation. And sometimes there's some truth to it. You feel like you got to give up your, your individuality to become part of a church. Uh, I remember many years ago, way back before we even launched Rooftop, way back in April 2001, we actually had ourselves a run-through Sunday. So a run-through Sunday is when we got all our volunteers together in the community center we were meeting in, Richmond Heights Community Center, and we just got everybody together to run through all our systems, make sure, sure all the kids' check-in stuff was right, the sound system worked, make sure that you know, we knew what to do in the building. We just start our run-through Sunday. And at the end of the, the run-through Sunday, I got all 30 or so you know, members and volunteers together, tried to give them a little bit of a, a pep talk. So I wanted the volunteers to remember you know, why we were doing what we were doing. We, we, were, we were starting this church to proclaim the name of Christ, the Son of the living God. We were, we're doing this to, to preach Jesus. Not just a man, not just a legend. He's, he's the Christ. He's the living Son of God. So, as part of this pep talk, uh, I told all the volunteers the story of Peter and the Great Confession. Maybe you know the story of Peter and the Great Confession. <clears throat> so, in this story, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And the disciples are a little bit confused, but eventually Peter gets around answering it correctly. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. So in order to, to rally the troops, uh, I tried to reenact this scene with the people that morning. I, I wanted to hear them say it, you know, who Christ is. So I stood up there on the stage and I boldly asked, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What do you say? You know, the people said, a bit sheepishly, they said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I was not impressed by their conviction, though, so I said it a little bit louder. Who do you say that I am? 
They said, a little, little bit more awkwardly, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So I yelled it at them again. So I was not convinced that they wanted to start this church. Now, who do you say that I am? They said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I had no idea I was reenacting a cult-like leader moment. <laughs> People were walking past the room in the community center, wondering what sort of cult we were starting there. This was the week before our grand opening, the next Sunday. It is truly a miracle that our church exists, <laughs> given the bone-handed leadership of your pastor. <clears throat> but uh, this is the fear, that in being like-minded, we will lose who God created us to be as individuals, that we will lose our ability to be different, to resist. And honestly, that's why there are so many different translations of this verse. Live at peace with each other and, and get along with one another because translators are trying really hard to avoid the IBV, the intergalactic Borg version of the verse, be like-minded with one another. But just because Paul tells us to be like-minded with one another doesn't mean he's telling us to join his cult. The churches we read about in the New Testament were not cults. They were places of difference and, and conflict and diversity and, and struggle. So the question is, what does it mean then to be like-minded? Well, this is why I actually really like the, the translation, live in harmony with one another. It might not actually be the most literal translation, but I think it gets at the heart of what Paul is trying to say. I mean, you know what harmony is. Harmony is when different notes work together to produce one chord. Not everybody plays the same note or even the same instrument, but they work together to produce beautiful music. And I think this is how God designed his churches to work, through harmony. Through each person playing their note well on their instrument to produce one beautiful chord. The, the, the world listens when that happens. I was at my daughter's uh, band concert last week. They actually had the honor of playing up at the Two Hill up at Umsol with the uh, Umsol uh, Concert Orchestra. Uh, and it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful concert. Um, I don't know if you've ever been up there, but my favorite moment in the concert was actually at the, at the very beginning of the show. So everybody's up on, on stage in their chair, poised with their instrument, you know, whatever their instrument is, just ready to go. And the piano player plays this chord over in the corner, doo, doo, doo. and everybody on the stage sort of picks a note, and they play this long, beautiful, sustained chord while everyone's adjusting, finding their pitch, adjusting their, their settings. And while they're sitting there just playing this long, beautiful chord, we just sit there and let it wash over us and fill the space while this beautiful chord just kind of fills the room. When churches find their chord, the world listens. This is what we can do when we're singing in harmony. As Paul writes in Romans, live in harmony with one another, in accordance with Christ Jesus, so that together with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is most glorified, and people listen the best when we're singing in harmony. And when we don't play that chord very well, the world hears that too. Remember Dr. Arthur Cochran sitting in his car, listening to that abominable music, out-of-tune music. No, 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 no. That is not going to be the last thing I hear on this earth. In fact, I think that might be one of the reasons that the American church is losing members, not really growing anymore, because we're not playing together very well. We're making ugly music. 
So how can we play harmoniously? How can we here at Rooftop live in harmony with one another? Well, like I said, a chord, so a chord is a construction of several musical notes that get played together at the same time. There is beauty and there is power in chords. So what notes do we need to hit in order to live in harmony with one another? Well, I have four notes that I want to talk to you about this morning. These four notes do not all start with the same letter this morning, but do not be disappointed because we don't want them to. This is chord morning. So I have four notes that start with four different letters, which together build one of the more common chords in church music, the G7 chord. I got my little little, uh, keyboard up here. That's your G7 chord. So the G7 chord is built with four notes, G, B, D, and F. So if we're going to live in harmony with one another here at Rooftop, it's going to take four notes. It's going to take G for God. It's going to take B for belief. It's going to take D for difference. It's going to take F for friendship. G7. Bam. Look, there's actually, we got lots of fun sounds here. We got heavy metal organ. We'll just go back to piano. We'll stay there. Okay. So how can we live in harmony with one another? First, we're going to take G for God. So, oh, I lost my, okay, I just pulled up another game. Oh, <laughs> well, this is a fun one. This is where a little snake goes. No, get out of it. Okay. G for God. G is the root note of G7. This makes it the most important note, and God is the most important part of our chord. So we cannot live in harmony without with one another, without God, as, as Paul has said, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you. May God grant you to live in harmony with one another. It is God who grants us the ability, the power, to play our chords well. And even Jesus prays in the Gospel of John, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So why do we need God to live in harmony with one another? Because harmony is too hard. We are human beings and sinners, and we prefer conflict. The the Bible says that we are people of the flesh, and as people of the flesh, we just like things that are bad for us, and one of the things that is bad for us is fighting. As Paul writes in Galatians, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, You know what discord is? Discord is when chords aren't right. That's what we do on our own in the flesh. We create discord. We play notes that don't fit. This is why we need God's power and love. God is the very model of harmony. The trinity of God, the Father, Son, and Spirit is a perfect unity, but also a harmonious one. Each of them play different notes in the chord of divine existence. This is why Jesus prays to God that we might be one with each other, but also distinct with each other as he is one, but distinct with the Father. I can tell you how this plays out in my own life. As a leader... As a church leader, I get into a lot of conflict with other people. So I'm always out there sharing opinions that people may or may not accept or making decisions that affect people in ways. 
uh, or I'm engaging with someone and say the wrong thing or say the right thing at the wrong time or say the right thing in slightly the wrong way and people get upset. That's fine. It's inevitable. I signed up for it. The, the problem is that not only am I a leader who lives in conf constant conflict, but I'm also a conflict avoider. So this is fun. <laughs> so I get into conflict. Yeah, it makes me want to scream too. <laughs> So I get into a lot of conflicts with people, and I just, like, avoid them. So on Sunday morning, I'm just, like, you know, weaving my way through the lobby. Hey, how are you doing? Uh, I know I did that thing to you 12 years ago. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah, that was last week, and yeah, I'm probably going to tick you off next week. So, you know, it was just kind of awkward. But I've learned, you know, how to cope with this. I've learned how to not do that over the years. And this is my point. I've learned a lot about how to pursue peace in relationships, how to work out conflict, or at least try your best. But these are lessons Jesus had to teach me. I would not have learned them myself. I would not have wanted to learn them myself. I mean, who wants to learn how to manage conflict? But I feel compelled by the unity of God. I'm a Christian. Christians believe in a God of peace. I follow Jesus. Jesus tells me to live at peace with my brothers and family and fellow church leaders. So I have to. I, I don't live in harmony with others because I really want to. Depending on the situation, I don't. I'd rather just kind of go hide in the corner. But I live in harmony with other people because I worship God who calls me to and equips me to and knows what's best for me and gives me lots of opportunities to get better at it. God is calling you to live in harmony with your fellow church members and family members and coworkers. If you're a Christian, you're just committed to it. You have been signed up to live in harmony with your brothers and sisters. The good news is that you worship a God who is the very definition of harmony, and he has a lot to say about how you can find his power in the pursuit. So that's the first note required to live in harmony with one another, G for God. Second note in our chord is B. For belief. So one of my favorite scenes of unity and harmony in uh, the uh, scripture comes from the book of Acts. So in the early days of the church, all the followers of Jesus were, were gathered to Jerusalem, praising God and witnessing miracles. Things got harder as time went on. Uh, but we just get a little glimpse of what life was like in their community in these very early days. And Luke describes it to us in chapter 2. He says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. So it's a beautiful picture of a utopian Christian community, but... There was an element to their community that was holding them together. They weren't just like sports fans cheering on their team. They weren't just strangers gathered in the city square. There was something holding them together. What were they? Luke says they were believers. All the believers were together and had everything in common. It was their belief in what Jesus had accomplished and what Jesus planned to do that bound them together. So if we want to live in harmony with one another, we need to focus on our common beliefs which bind us together. We are believers. In Christ. Sure, we have our differences, but our belief in Jesus as the Son of God who died for our sins is far more important. Unfortunately, you know as well as I do that we tend to focus more on our differences. This is why we have like 90,000 different Christian denominations, because we like to focus on our differences. We make a big deal about small differences while ignoring eternal commonalities. 
We do this for lots of reasons, but one of the reasons we do this is because we live in a world that trains us to do it. I read a book last year called Divided We Fall by David French, who is a a political commentator that I enjoy. And the book is uh, about political differences among Americans. I don't know if you know this, but there are political differences among Americans. (laughs) Just a few, slight ones. But what's interesting is that if you look at the statistics, the differences between Americans are actually not nearly as pronounced as we are led to believe. There is a perception gap between what we think our opponents believe and what they actually believe. Know what I mean? So if we're a Republican, we think that most Democrats are like crazy like this. If we're a a Democrat, we think that most Republicans are, are crazy like this. We are told to think this in large part by the media. So they are stoking division By lying to us about just how radical and terrible the other side is, they know that the angrier we get, the more we'll watch their program and buy their products. This is how this works. By convincing us that our enemies are like really far out there, we'll get more angry and we'll watch them longer. Here's the thing, though. If you look at the statistics, our opponents are not nearly as radical as we think they are. There's a perception gap. There's a lot more commonality among Americans on all kinds of key issues. Now, I'm not saying that our differences aren't real and that they aren't worth discussing. We'll talk about that in a second. I'm saying they might not be as pronounced as we think, but we're drawn to them because we're people of the flesh. We like discord. We like fighting, especially as Christians. Christians are really good at living in discord. But as followers of Jesus, aren't our commonalities just so much more important? I remember a story told by a writer, Anne Lamott. Uh, she's a pretty progressive Christian, and she tells this entertaining story of finding herself on an airplane sitting next to a, a Christian fundamentalist preacher. So she and this man were sitting on this airplane just kind of sizing each other up judging each other, and kind of started arguing, you know, about what's true and how to interpret the Bible. It became pretty contentious for, like, two Christians that kind of found themselves sitting next to each other on a plane. But then the plane started having mechanical problems, like major ones. Alarms started going off. The cabin started shaking. The pilot told everybody to buckle up. It was pretty scary for a few minutes. Things suddenly settled down. They got through the turbulence. And as Lamont wrote, the conversation afterwards was just better. It was just better. We're all going down. We're all going down. The plane's crashing. Do we want to argue about relatively minor points, or do we want to worship Jesus who can rescue us from the crash? That's the second note. Proud to live in harmony with one another. B for belief. Third note in our G7 chord is D for difference. That's the fifth. If you care. This is a power chord. It's the major chord. Anyway, so D for difference. Now, I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting the point I just made, but I didn't say the differences don't matter. I said we need to focus on our commonalities, but we also need to appreciate our differences graciously and draw strength from them. The Bible teaches 
this very thing. Paul writes to the Corinthians, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So maybe you know this, but one of Paul's favorite metaphors for the church is a body. He says that churches are human bodies with different parts, and each member of the body must play its part. Not only must each member play its part, but they must also appreciate the role that the other members are playing. And this is true of chords, too. Every note must appreciate what the other note brings to the chord. The F can't say that he is playing the G7 chord all by himself. Fs can't do that. They need the G, the B, the D. Whoop, that's the B flat. Anyway. So in practical terms, what am I talking about? Well, to cut to the chase, cut to the chase, you have a note to play. And you got to play it for a chord to be complete. You have a part to play, and you got to play it for a part to be complete. you got a contribution to make. I believe everybody in this room right now has a part to play in the church of God. Everybody in this room has a note to sing. And to be direct, some of you are not singing it. You're just carrying around your instrument. God gave you an instrument, you're just carrying it around. When I was in high school, I played the trombone. I was a dork, I played the trombone. And my trombone was too big to fit in the locker. So I had to carry it around all day. This was fun. And it had like stickers on it, like Star Trek stickers. <laughs> Imagine how much fun I got made fun of. Trombone Trekkie there. That's the thing, though. Some of you are just carrying your instrument around. God gave you a beautiful instrument to play, and you're just carrying it around like a dork. you got to play it, though. Our chord is not complete without your instrument. We are, we are worse off without your note. We, we want you to play. The Lord wants you to play. Our church is not complete without your voice. A few weeks ago, our church deacons uh, were meeting together for a quarterly uh, deacon meeting. And at these deacon meetings, we try to talk about church stuff and also discuss important topics. And I brought up the topic of, of transgenderism and gender identity. So we're a pretty traditional church when it comes to sexuality uh, and, and gender. But we also, we also want to be a place of acceptance and understanding. Transgenderism is emotional. It's a sensitive topic, though, these days. So I wasn't sure how the conversation with our leaders would go because we've got a lot of leaders with a lot of different perspectives and takes on things. But here's the thing. Conversation went fine. Everybody had a lot of different questions and opinions, and we shared them in a conversational setting. Different notes got played, and everybody appreciated the notes that everybody else was playing. You're playing the F right now. Thank you. Play the F. You're playing the D right now. Thank you. Play the D. You're playing the C. Play the C. Now, was there some dissonance? Was somebody playing something maybe a little bit outside the chord? A C sharp or a you know, D flat? Yeah, that happens. When you get lots of people in the same room, that happens. Dissonant happens. But dissonance can get resolved. In fact, I kind of, as a pastor, I kind of like dissonance. I kind of like disagreement. Keeps us honest. I was visiting with a pastor friend a while back. We were talking about how our respective churches work. And I asked him how his board, his elder board, makes decisions and what they do. And he said that they don't do anything without consensus. So unless they have everybody in agreement, they don't make a move. That's just kind of how they decide to operate. And I want to be respectful of my friend's church because different churches decide to do things different ways. But I asked him, how do you ever get anything done when, like, everybody has to agree? And that would never fly at rooftop. I mean, we try to get people on our board who have the courage to disagree with us 
and even go to the mat for something to disagree with. I mean, I don't know if this will make you feel better or worse about your church leadership, but we rarely have 5-0 or 6-0 votes. We've trained ourselves to listen closely to people who disagree with something. Maybe they have a perspective we're missing. I think we're better for it. So basically, when it comes to living in harmony with one another, we need to listen to the other notes in our lives and hear what they're saying. Every person in your life has a part to play. God is in charge of your life. And every person has been put there by God to play a part in your life. Don't just turn down their dial. Listen to see what part God wants them to play in your life. Are they there to teach you patience? Are they there to challenge your thinking? Are they there to teach you love for enemies? Don't just resolve the chord because you don't like dissonance too quickly. G for God, B for belief, D for difference, and lastly, F for friendship. We are uh, running out of time, so I'll be quick with this one. If we want to live in harmony with one another, we've got to be friends. We've got to spend time together. We've got to make room for one another. We've got to invite people over for dinner. We've got to welcome new people into our small groups. We've got to watch, go watch bands together. We've got to engage. We've got to learn to like each other, which, you know, that's a sermon. <laughs> we've got to be friends. As the psalmist writes, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Now, I know that some of you are not here for friendship. Let's just be honest. You're not here for friendship. You're here to go to church, and then you're here to go home. And along the way, you might stop by to pick up some groceries. And I understand that. And if that's where you're at right now, I can respect it. I also know that making friends at church is hard. It takes time, years. As Luke writes in Acts, every day they can continue to meet together in the temple courts every day. So we do this like a few minutes a week. Do the math. It's going to take longer. Friendship takes time, but that's my point. Only can, when we get to know each other as friends can we really live in harmony with one another. Uh, let me leave you with this. A few weeks ago, our elder team went down to the Ozarks for our annual planning retreat. The elders of the group of guys that pray for and lead Rooftop. It was a very busy weekend of planning and prayer and stuff, but we had some time to, to play some games. And one of the games we played was this new card game. Maybe you've heard about it. It's called The Mind. Anybody played The Mind yet? It's a fantastic game. So it's a very simple game with a deck of 100 cards, and all the cards are numbered 1 through 100. And the, each card has its own number. And everybody has a certain number of cards dealt randomly from the deck. And so nobody can see anybody else's cards. Nobody knows what numbers anybody else has. And the goal of the game, it's not against each other. It's with each other. It's a group game. And the goal of the game is to try to lay down the cards in numerical order as closely as you can. Again, nobody knows what cards anybody else has. Like if I have the 7, the 40, and the 98, I don't know what they're having. So i got to figure out. Does anybody maybe have a number lower than seven? You're like, okay, and then maybe it's just like that all night. And you keep doing that until maybe you get through all your cards successfully in numerical order, and then you get more cards the next round. So I don't know if I described that well at all, but it's a very fun and challenging game. In fact, as it was being described to me, I thought, this is impossible. But it's called the mind because it forces the group to think 
together without talking or signaling or hinting. You're just kind of looking at each other. Uh, 23. Oh, I have the 21. Rats. And you guys throw over again. So you're looking at each other. You can't talk, wondering how high or low your cards are. But here's what I found. You get pretty good at it because you can kind of read each other especially when you've known each other for a long time. And as I was playing this game with these guys that I've known, some of whom I've known for over 20 years, I realized I knew them pretty well and how they would play the game. Rob tended to play his cards a little too late, a little too cautious. Greg would lay down his cards a little too early, maybe a little too eager. Steve would get really upset if anybody played cards out of order. Blake played really quietly, but afterwards would sort of explain how we need to play it a little bit differently the next time. I would make the occasional mistake and get really mad at myself, hate myself the rest of the night. But we got pretty good at it because we were friends. Over 20 years, we'd become friends. We kind of knew what everybody was thinking. That's what it means to be like-minded with each other. It doesn't mean to think the same thing. It means to know what everybody is thinking, to love each other because of it. But that takes time. That takes friendship. Any good choir doesn't just come together and start singing beautiful music. they got to practice. they got to meet together in the courts every day and practice for many years. they got to learn their parts. they got to listen to each other. they got to appreciate their differences. Only then, with one mind and one voice, can we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So question in the chord, in the chord, what's your note? What's your note? Oh, you're playing it. Our chord isn't, somebody said G. Great. I don't know what a G sounds like for you, but play your G. 